Tvameva mata cha pita tvameva, tvameva bandhu cha sakha tvameva, tvameva vidyadravinam tvameva, tvameva saravam mamadeva deva. I bow to God in all his forms, I bow to him in you. You know when you can live at your own center, you're not attached to anything. You can flow with life. It's not as if you feel, I've used the illustration of skiing. I don't suppose many of you have skied, but it's a very good one. And therefore, let me ask you to imagine it because it's perfect for how to live life itself. If you're centered in yourself, there are bumps on the slope which are called moguls. And if you are centered in yourself, you can quickly turn right or left. But if you aren't, if you're committed to turning right or committed to turning left, and you find that you have to go the opposite way, you fall. Well, that's how life is. But if we commit ourselves to any particular direction, then we suffer. Things fall apart. We don't know how to deal with it. When, for example, a rich person suddenly finds he has nothing, it's not so easy to take, is it? Because you're used to that. But if you could be completely fluid in yourself, you'll find whether I have riches, whether I don't, it doesn't matter. You can look back and say, well, I enjoyed those for a while. Now I'll enjoy something else. This was my guru's consciousness. I'd like to read to you a very, actually a very interesting thing about my, from my recollections of his, uh, his conversations. It's uh, conversation number 154 from Conversations with Yogananda. An astonishing aspect of Paramahansa Yogananda's life was his extraordinary mental fluidity. It revealed his inner freedom, his utter freedom inwardly. Sometimes he compared his own thought processes to writing on water. He didn't mean he was forgetful, far from it. Indeed, his memory was utterly clear. In the freedom of his consciousness, however, he responded suitably to every circumstance. He could be stern, loving, good-humored, aloof, always depending on the need and never on his own personal feelings. Even his facial expressions would change subtly with every shift in people's attitudes around him. His sensitivity to their consciousness never ceased to amaze me. In the years that I got to live with him, I never saw him in quite the same aspect twice. It may seem strange, but I found it difficult, in contrast to the clarity with which I remembered his spoken words, to remember clearly what he looked like. I loved to meditate on him, but always... I had to look first at a photograph. I couldn't instantly recall his facial features to mind. He was a flawless mirror, constantly reflected back to people what they were. It wasn't that he reflected back their flaws. If they were angry, for instance, he wouldn't show anger. What he reflected back was the reactions of their own higher self, to anything they were feeling. No one could fool him. 
before his calm gaze. A person's inner life was stripped bare. Some people, for that very reason, feared to be around him. I've often reflected on two extreme examples of this extraordinary manifestations of an altogether superconscious nature. He was Triguna Rahitam, beyond the Trigunas, or basic qualities of nature. One example is a photograph of him standing beside Emilio Portes Gil, who at that time was the president of Mexico. Senor Portes Gil was a large, rather heavy-set man. The master next to him looked somewhat large and heavy-set also. Both even wore similar expressions. Well, one might say, so the master was large and heavy-set, but he wasn't. In the first place, he was rather short, being only about five feet six inches. For another, though strong, he wasn't heavy-set. The impression conveyed by that photograph was due more to his consciousness. The other example was also a photograph. He is shown standing beside Amelita Gallicurci, the famous Italian opera singer. Madame Gallicurci was small. She seemed, moreover, in the photo at least, rather, rather frail. Strange to say, the master also looked somewhat small and frail. In his expression, too, there seemed to be a rather old-world look. And yet, looking at him face to face, one saw that he was simply himself, not tall, though robust and strongly built, his features completely pleasing to the eye. So you see, it wasn't that his body changed, it was that there was something in his consciousness that superseded the form of his body. He used to tell a story of an artist who wanted to capture Krishna uh, in a painting. And Krishna, like my guru, changed constantly, and he couldn't quite catch him because when he looked at him one day and started to paint that way, then the next time he looked at him, he was another, not another person, but there was some other consciousness there, and it came across as an, almost another person. And so he could never quite keep up with it. As often as Krishna changed his appearance, so he had to change his painting. Finally, he said, ah, I know the secret. So he went and got a mirror, and he held it up before Krishna. And as often as Krishna's face changed, that picture changed, that image changed. Well, this is what we needed to do with our guru. We needed to keep the mind calm so that it would reflect what he was, because he was so many divine moods that came through that body reflecting the world around him, reflecting the divine inspiration that came through him. And if we had our own expectations, well, we, we would lose out. We would think, oh, he should be this way, and he wasn't. Or he should be that way, and he wasn't. You know, I had my own expectations of what greatness should be. Sometimes he didn't meet those expectations. But it wasn't because he fell below them. It was always that my my expectations fell short of the perfection I finally beheld in him. I found that in all ways he was somehow perfect for that situation. And there was always behind whatever he manifested, there was always that calm bliss. You just, I think, 
to me, bliss epitomized his nature more than any other quality. I'm not one, nor am I trying to argue with my guru's chief disciple, Rajashi, who spoke of him as a prema avatar, an avatar of love. Yes, he had that love, but he himself said, I got there by joy. And uh, that's what I used to notice with him. He could talk about the just maybe filling potholes in the driveway or something, some completely mundane thing. But I would feel this love, yes, but more than that even, joy. It just would make me want to close my eyes and meditate in his presence. But behind that, or I should say on the surface of that joy, it manifested in so many different ways. And if you watch, you could see that there was joy, even in talking about potholes, Really, um, it was a wonderful game of hide-and-seek. Behind everything that he did, if you watched, if you were sensitive, there was joy there. It was like that experience I had when out at the desert we had dug this big swimming pool, and um, he said it was to enhance the property of the place, but I suspect it was really to keep us out there with him, give us an excuse to be there with him. And so anyway, we dig, but dug this hole, but there were these mounds of sand all over the desert. And uh, he said one day, just it was just about lunchtime, and we were getting hungry, we'd been working hard. And he came out and he had stopped his writing for a while. He said, well, those mounds aren't very attractive. Let's see if we can't. Uh, level them. I, I thought of a way of doing it. He said, get a two-by-four as a board, and uh, each of you on one side, I was with another disciple, Norman, and he told us to move this board back and forth like this to level that mound of earth. Well, the mound of sand, it was fairly heavy work. Norman was a big giant. I was certainly not that, but it was heavy work for us. And uh, then we thought, well, we've done it and Master will let us now have our lunch. But Master said, oh, I thought that method would work. Let's try it on one more. Well, we thought, well, okay. And one more, and just one more, and just one more. Well, a certain point, you know, you reach the point where you push just so far and you reach a breaking point. And either you sort of blow up or become exasperated or exhausted or whatever, or you laugh. Well, I think he was bringing us to that point to see how we would break. Because just at that point, I remember when he said, just one more, I stood up and I laughed. I saw the joke of it and I felt, what fun. Then he smiled. He said, I was playing with you. All right, go have your lunch. And I don't suppose it was this day, but it was another day where something similar happened. We'd been working hard on this pool and we were hungry. And the food given to us was a thin sandwich, which I think had been waved in the general proximity of a jar of peanut butter, and a thin drink, sort of supposed to be hot chocolate, but mostly water. And Norman and I looked at each other, and we paused a moment in astonishment, and then we burst out laughing. Well, you know, that's, the, that's what life should give you, is the lesson to learn, no matter how you're pushed, you reach that breaking point, how do you break? If you break the wrong way, you lose. If you break the right way, you gain. And the right way is to laugh and just say, it's all a joke. Well, in this way, 
our Guruji trained us. And yes, he would push us sometimes to that point where uh, we broke. But those who broke in the wrong way, it's not that they were thrown out or anything like that, but they had a lesson to learn. It took them a little longer. But if you broke in the right way, there was always such joy. Well, how can you have that? Only by being centered in yourself. Whether those mounds have to be done or don't have to be done, be yourself. Whether you have enough lunch to eat or today you don't have, let it be. Don't put all your contentment and fulfillment on that lunch. Just be content in yourself. This is the lesson <coughs> he was teaching us. And you see, he who was completely centered in himself, no matter what happened to him or what he did, he always reflected that. He was completely, just as he himself put it, my mind is like, it's like my thoughts are like writing on water. Nothing touched him. This was what he sought to teach us through his training, through his discipline. When you're centered in yourself, everything goes on around you. You don't have to respond either happily or unhappily. Just be happy in yourself. <coughs> Stand up. That means be straight in your spine. And just let it go. Always you can be in yourself. And whatever happens, you can re react appropriately, just like the skier on the slope. If he's centered in his spine, he can turn left or right. If you're centered in your spine, however people treat you, it doesn't matter. Like that story of my guru, when they were going to have an annual function at Dranchi and he'd come back from America, this was in 1935, they said, well, Guru Das Banerjee is a very important judge in this town. He would be the one to preside over that function. My Guruji went to him, and the judge scolded him. He said, all these sadhus, there are too many sadhus in India. We don't need them. And he says, they're all a bunch of wastels, and all they want is people's money. And he went on like this, just said the meanest things he could think of. And my guru just smiled very politely. I don't say he smiled ear to ear as if how delightful. He responded appropriately. If this man wanted to insult him, he wasn't going to smile in that way, but he smiled in his heart and just respectfully said, well, I hope you'll reconsider and come. He was just calm. Well, when the function happened, they had a schoolmaster, a headmaster of another school to preside at the function. But just as they were about to begin, a car drove up and this judge, Gurudas Banerjee, stepped out. And he was, because he was the one everybody respected, they invited him up on the platform. And he said, when I met this Swami Yogananda, I was so pleased. And I, I felt that, can he really be as good as he seems? So I put him to the test. And I have to say, he passed my test better than I imagined possible. And he said, don't worry about any, whatever you produce here, if you can produce one man like this Swami Yogananda, all, not only your school, but all of India will be glorified. This was the kind of person you people sent to America, a real ambassador of the Spirit. I lived with that man, I know. But he had that freedom. 
so that when he met this Gurudas Banerjee and was insulted, he was always, he responded appropriately, but he never got pulled out of himself. He was centered in himself. It would have been inappropriate to smile outwardly. That would have been foolish. But to smile in his heart. Not to give in to that anger or seeming desire to insult. Just with the same respect that he gave to anybody and everybody. With that same respect, see God in all. Remember that one light is in everybody. The one ocean produced all of its waves. When we can see that light shining everywhere, all the woods of grief, all the woods of attachment and sorrow, they're all burned away. All that is left is the divine joy. Live in that. You will see that your whole life will be transformed. Let us have that song now. Thy light within us shining. Joy to you. Thy light within us shining has shone where freedom lies from earthly walls confining to soaring spirit skies How oft like sheep we've strayed apart now guided by thy ray in inner freedom of the heart our night has turned to day thy light within us shining has shone where freedom Sheep we've strayed apart now.